But it says that at the at the height of the sun during that date, the whole the whole area, the world went black. Like it turned to night. There was this this break in fellowship that took place. And, you know, it, it reminds us too that Jesus stood in that place of broken fellowship with God, God the Father, and how that works, I don't know. But in that, that agonizing torture of it, so that you and I would never have to. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Hello, Refuge young adults. Hope this message finds you well and um, you're getting time to rest and spend time with your families. And, um, you know, I've, I've really, you know, as much as this has been difficult, I think for a lot of people and, um, you know, who knows the, the effects that it's going to have in, uh, later in, in the country. But I think for for me and my family, one of the things that it's done for us in this time of like quarantine and being home is really like a forced rest for us um, where we've had to, we've been forced to really slow down and spend time together. And so just in, in, um, in the spirit of like finding the good in the bad, in the difficult, um, just I mean, I've been so blessed to be able to spend time with my son, my oldest son Luke, and get to play Mario Kart with him and um, wrestle with him, and um, you know spend time with my daughters and and my little son Silas just playing cars and stuff, and um, and then just having some more quality time with my wife just to talk, and so I think you know as difficult as this is, and we all want to get back to normal, which which we do. Um, I've just been really blessed that God is a God of, um, of rest and, and really just sometimes we're forced to do it and it's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing to, uh, slow down and and really just spend time with things that matter. And what's really been crazy about this time is we've been forced to really think about what is most important and, um, and so I, I hope you're, you know, finding that to be true in your own life too. Just um, taking advantage of, of these moments to to spend with those that you love, and and, um, and as well as digging deeper into your own personal walk with the Lord, you know. Um, so tonight we're going to be, or wherever this finds you, whatever time of the day you're listening to this, we're going to be in John chapter 19. Um, last week, Zach. Um, taught through John chapter 18, looking at Jesus being betrayed in the garden by Judas, uh, the denial of Peter, uh, of Jesus, that he did not know him. And so just a lot of really powerful um, messages, perhaps things that we've known for a long time, um, things that we, you know, come up to every Easter and we're like, yeah, cool, we know the story, but, um, you know, Easter is coming. And so we want to prepare our hearts as well for that. And so it's cool that we're right in the middle of it uh, as we approach Easter. And so we get to hear it twice, but let me just pray and then we'll, we'll get into our study of of God's word. Lord, we love you. Jesus, we thank you, God, that you are in control of all things. There's nothing that's outside of your control. And you foresaw this since the beginning of time. It's not something that shocks you. And so God, we, we want to be those that trust you. We want to be those that um, just relax in the fact that 
you're God and we're not. And so um, we just love you so much. And, and we pray as we study your word together that you would speak to us. Um, God, that you would move and um, in our hearts, wherever we're, we're listening to this or um, whatever, you know, if we're driving right now in our car and on our way somewhere, um, God, that you would speak to us and, and, and really, again, bring to life this, this, uh, this story and what this means for us. Lord, the cross, this changes everything for us as, as Christians, as human beings. So we're just so thankful for the way that you've blessed us and, and entered into our life. So God be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I was saying, uh, Zach went and taught the 18th chapter of John. It leaves off with Jesus on another trial. This is now the sixth illegal trial that has taken place, um, or sixth trial of of Jesus uh, being tried as, as someone who's committed some crime that he hasn't done. He's been brought before the courts, asked questions, um, just a lot of things that have been going on that are totally illegal, but it's interesting that the re- religious leaders kept their religious um, traditions and certain things that they found like, oh, we're not going to break that, but we are going to have illegal trials. But um, very interesting. It leaves off in chapter 18 with um, Barabbas taking the place of Jesus where they could they had a choice to release this murderous insurrectionist or to release Jesus, the rabbi, and they chose to have Barabbas released. And the text tells us they cried again, saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber, and um, there's detail into his life as to what kind of robber and what kind of person he was. And um, that was the kind of man they rather have than Jesus. Just to, it gives you an idea of, of the bloodthirsty men that were in this crowd at the moment. So um, verse nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 1, it says, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Now, we can read over that text and read through it quickly in, in the, you know, just in the nature of it as you're just reading through it. But as you stop and consider what has taken place, um, a scourging was one of the most gruesome things that could be done to a human being. And um, Pilate, I think at this point, if you read it, Pilate is getting frustrated as well. Um, He's trying to do his job. He's trying to keep peace. He's trying to, um, he's trying to move on from this, from, from Jesus. He's trying to get rid of him in any, any way he can. And so at this point, he seeks to brutalize Jesus to the point where maybe people will have a, a com- maybe a compassionate heart, or maybe they'll get to a point where they're like, that's good enough. At least he was um, beaten and hurt. And so that kind of satisfies the, this sense of justice or something or whatever they had in their heart, but just maybe just giving them a taste of, of blood that, that they really wanted. And so um, he has him scourged. Now, uh, I'm sure you've heard this before, but... Um, scourging was this process in which it was designed to inflict the maximum amount of pain um, in order to get a confession from someone. And so they would tie a man to a post uh, with his hands above above his 
his uh, his shoulders and he would be uh, his back would be open and uh, they would use what's called a cat of nine tails. And we know from history that Jesus was, they used a cat of nine tails on Jesus. It was a leather whip uh, that had nine strands. And um, on these strands were rocks and bone and glass and uh, that were tied in with it and woven into these strands. And it was the purpose of through whipping that this whip would tenderize the skin and then over time it would rip um it would rip flesh from bone like it would just totally destroy um a person's back and it was so painful that most men would confess to crimes that they didn't even commit perhaps just to get this to stop and and you know then just be put out of their misery and we know from from the other gospels that Jesus was scourged or was whipped 39 times um 39 being the number of of judgment within the bible or excuse me mercy in the in the bible 40 being the number of judgment uh, 40 years in the desert wandering in the wilderness there's there's these um different n- numerology and types in the bible but Jesus was whipped 39 times. Now, if this whipping was to encourage someone to confess to a crime, Jesus had done nothing wrong. He was sinless. And so with every whip and with every desire uh, that the Roman soldiers would have to bring a confession, and they prided themselves in, in inflicting pain to get people to confess, and there was not a single word that came from Jesus' mouth. And so you can imagine... Um, the ferocity of it and just how how gruesome this would have been the amount of blood that would have been lost in in this scourging would have been enough to to kill a person and so the fact that Jesus survived just this part of it was um was incredible and um up until this point Jesus has been beaten um uh, his face has been slapped he's been um it's been a pretty gruesome time and um and as we go through it i know this is not something that you like generally maybe you've already turned this off but it's not necessarily something that as we read and we consider it we're like wow that's but there you know what application am i trying to get here and i think this is what it is we need to stop for a minute and every time that we read something like that we need to um tag at the end of that sentence this is for me so so when the pilot took jesus and scourged him we tagged the end of that sentence with saying that this was for me and, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and they mocked him and this was for me everything that jesus is beginning to endure here we need to understand that what he's enduring it was for us it was for you it was for me um it was our sin, it was our our judgment that he is taking upon himself. Um, it says, and the soldiers then twisted a crown of thorns, and put it on his head, and they put it on him, and they put on him a purple robe, and they said, "Hail, King of the Jews!" And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate then went out again and said to them, "Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him." 
these thorns, you can see them even today in Israel. If you ever get the chance to go, I encourage you guys to go. Um, there's these huge thorns. They're called Jerusalem thorns. They're massive um, thorns. And they would they used these thorns to weave a crown for him. And we know they didn't just place this onto his head, but they shoved these thorns into his into his head, into his skull, on top of his um, bloodied and ripped up and whipped back. They throw this robe upon him of purple and they begin to mock him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands and they begin to slap him. They slapped him in the face um, just for, for no reason, just mocking him in fun, um, slapping him and in, in, in things like that. But um, you can imagine just the exhaustion in Jesus at this moment. You're in so much pain. Your back is, is open. It's bleeding. Your head is throbbing. And then you have men yelling at you and screaming at you and laughing at you. And then they begin to slap you as hard as they can in the face. Um, and you have no way of defending yourself. Pilate then went out because in order for the Jews, if they were to go in uh, to the court of the Gentiles, they would be considered unclean and therefore could not celebrate the Passover. And so they couldn't go in. But, but Pilate would come out and bring Jesus out. Um, interesting that they would keep these traditions and um, keep these religious, you know, religious, you know, tradition things, but they would not, um, but they wouldn't listen to Jesus. Just fascinating how much religiosity um, can totally twist your whole mind. I think it's interesting, like, um, when you think about um, different sins and things like that, I think, you know, we think of other ones as just so gruesome. But um, pride and arrogance and religiosity, um, I would say, do the most long-term damage in our life and on a, in a spiritual way. There's certain things that in a physical way, these sins are, are awful and they have very much immediate effects but religiosity and uh, the sin of of uh, pride and arrogance and and all of that, man, the long term the long term effect of it in our life is is brutal. It's brutal, and so we see that in the life of these religious leaders. So Pilate brings Jesus out, and he says, "I find no fault in him." At this point, Pilate is is hoping that this would satisfy the cry for blood from the people. In verse 5, it says, Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. It's interesting that, you know, 400 plus years, um, I forget the exact amount of time, but Jesus was, it was predicted, it was prophesied that the Messiah would die, but the way that he would die 
would not be the Jewish way of capital punishment. The, the Jewish way of capital punishment was stoning them to death, right? They would pick up rocks, they would throw it to the person who was dead. The Bible says the Messiah would not die that way, but he would die by him being hung from a tree. We saw that in the book of Numbers um, when, um, when Moses uh, held up the brass serpent there in, in the desert that those who were bitten by the poisonous snakes um, if they looked at that uh, that bronze serpent, excuse me, bronze serpent, they would be made well and they would be made healed. Uh, uh, they would be healed uh, and be saved. And so, um, the Bible has told us that Jesus would die by hanging upon a tree. I mean, he would be crucified. He he would be pierced. He would be. Um, I mean, the 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 description of it is is fascinating. This was describing a way of. Uh, capital punishment that had not been invented yet. And here we are, the Jews are saying, we have a law, according to our law, he should be put to death. But that ability for them had been taken away by the Roman government. And so they had no ability to kill Jesus themselves. They had to go through the Roman government. And the Roman way of capital punishment and uh, was crucifixion. It's just a fascinating study that I encourage you to go back and, and look into. But um, they yell out, crucify him, crucify him, kill him. And the Jews answered uh, in verse 8, Therefore, when Pilate heard that, that saying, he was the more afraid, and, and rightfully so. I mean, um, if you're Pilate and, and you're trying to get a confession out of this guy and he's not saying anything, and these guys are calling for his crucifixion, and you're going, I find no fault. I mean, he's done nothing wrong. What is the problem? And they say it's because he's claimed to be the Son of God. And this is where the fear of God came upon Pilate. And went, and he went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? And Jesus gave him no answer. It, fascinating. Pilate was a curious guy. You could tell he really... There was something that, that didn't sit right with him when he was questioning Jesus, when he was having Jesus scourged. Something didn't sit right with him. And so as he asked him, where, tell me where you're from. Like, what is going on here? Are you the Son of God? And then Pilate said to him in verse 10, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and power to release you? Interesting. Pilate's getting frustrated and he's like, Oh, you're not going to talk? I mean, don't you understand that I have the power? I, have, I could free you right now. I'm, you should be talking to me. And most people would, right? They'd be begging. They'd be telling him everything he wanted to know. And Jesus, like a sheep, silent before it shears, um, he did not say a word. And here Jesus speaks up. And he responds to what, what um, Pilate says. And he says, you could have no power, verse 11, at all against me, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend, and whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement. But in Hebrew, it's Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, 
Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. They kind of, the Jews put, um, they put Pilate in a very difficult position where they quote their own, the, the Romans' own law, that if anyone would claim to be a king, if there was an, a new insurrection that was coming up, um, that that person was to be put to death. And, um, and here they've, they've put all the weight and pressure, enough pressure on Pilate where he says, okay, I wash my hands. Um, you guys do what you want. And it's interesting. The other gospels tell us that he tried, he washed his hands and he says, you know, this man's blood be, be on your hands. Like it's not on me. I'm not, you know, and it's interesting that people try and do that too. Like try and wash their hands of Jesus. And you can't do that. Like you can't just have, you can't just say, well, I'm, I'm not against him. I'm not for him. I just, I'm not going to make a decision to be of no decision has, is a decision either you're for or you're against. And so Pilate thought he could get off the hook, but it's, you can't, you can't get away from it. Um, everyone is forced to decision when it comes to whether Jesus is King, whether he is God or whether he is not. And so, uh, the chief priest answered, and which is so interesting. We have no King, but Caesar. I mean, the Jews hated the Roman government, hated them. I mean, just as much as tax collectors, they just could not stand them. And for them to say that, oh man, they were doing everything they could to just get Jesus into their hands to have him crucified. Um, verse 17, we pick up with Jesus now going to the cross and says, And he bearing his cross went out to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews. But he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments, and they made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven in the top in one piece. And they said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. For the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Um, at this point, Jesus has now been led out of the city. And we know from other gospels that he was then to bear uh, his own crossbeam that could have weighed from 75 to 150 pounds um, and called to carry his cross um, to the place called Calvary to be crucified. Um, now at 12 noon, Jesus would be crucified. And as he hung upon that cross, there were seven things that Jesus said from the cross. And we're going to look at what those things are. John's gospel doesn't um, describe them for us, but... Um, it's, it's good to look at what he says. 
um, you know, the last words of, of Jesus' earthly ministry. I mean, it's something that, to look into. And the first one we find in Luke chapter 23 and in verse 34, it says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Um, you know, they had mocked him and said he saved others, but he cannot save himself. If Jesus had saved himself, then none of us would be saved. And I think it's interesting that Jesus did not ask forgiveness for himself. He didn't need to. He was sinless. Jesus did not ask for a quick and painless death, which he could have. He knew his purpose for dying on the cross. Jesus did not ask God for vengeance on the people who sentenced him to death. Instead, he prayed, forgive his, his tormentors. He prayed on their behalf. Even in his suffering, Jesus was able to forgive and to pray for others and to care about their souls. And it's, it's fascinating to me, just the heart of Jesus all the way through, um, even to the cross, even in, in the most difficult and most painful place, um, his heart was still for people. His heart was still for people. He loved them to, to the very end. He can forgive us our sins. I mean, and give us the strength to forgive others. If Jesus could do it from the cross as people are mocking him in the moment, I mean, just know that whatever hang up you have and people that you haven't forgiven, those that have wronged you, Jesus can give you the strength to forgive them. The second statement that is found is in Luke chapter 23, verse 39. It says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Now we know that Jesus was crucified between two thieves in, in one of his final interactions, Jesus extends eternal life. Um, as he openly forgave others, Jesus sparked an eternal transformation in this criminal next to him. And our Savior did not allow his own suffering and torment to distract him from the cries of faith from the repentant sinner. And just as he was not too preoccupied to minister to this criminal, he is never too busy for our concerns. It's, it's fascinating that in this moment of great pain, and even this guy who mocked Jesus at one point, finally came to this realization, like, this is the Son of God, and I believe in Him. And Jesus extends eternal life to him um, in, in this time of, of great difficulty and pain. I mean, it's just a, an amazing thing, the compassion. And ultimately, Jesus still on mission it, when, when breath was in his lungs, still on that mission to like bring men to, to saving faith. And so um, uh, it's an amazing thing. Verse, uh, the third one is, he says to John, um, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. Jesus' first two statements clearly revealed his divinity, his power to forgive sin and grant eternal life. Um, but his third statement reflects his humanity. As fully God and fully man, uh, Jesus' concern for Mary was not just as a savior, but as, as a son. His compassion for his earthly mother, it reminds us that Jesus also cares for our well-being, our well-being and direction in life, even when we don't understand God's plans for us. And, and as Jesus asked John to care for Mary, he asked, he asked us to care for others on his behalf. Um, and so just encouraging thing to see Jesus in his humanity. He still loved his mom. He, he loved John. And um, he sought to have them cared for after he, he passed away. And just um, looking at the care of others, looking out for the care of others, um, 
and we can get to do the same thing on on behalf of in on behalf of Jesus in Jesus' name. The fourth statement, uh, Matthew twenty-seven, is "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" One, I think, one of the most um, interesting, but also um, something that we will never fully understand until we get to glory, is what is happening here. Um, where there is a break in fellowship between the Father and the Son. We know God is triune, um, three in one. But in this, this moment, this prayer is, is the very heart and necessity uh, of the cross. It is the fulfillment of prophecy from Psalm 22. But for the first time in eternity, the son knew the wrath and the judgment of God and our sins were poured out on Jesus and God could not look upon him carrying uh, our sins. And so this separation from the father must have been even more agonizing than the physical torture that he was experiencing. Yet he suffered uh, it for our sake. He was separated. And it's, it's one of those things that, man, I don't fully understand what took place there. I don't think anyone really understands but it says that at the at the height of the sun during that day, the whole the whole area, the world went black, like it turned to night. There was this this break in fellowship that took place, and you know it, it reminds us too that Jesus stood in that place of broken fellowship with God, uh, God the Father, and how that works, I don't know, but in that that agonizing torture of it, so that you and I would never have to. He suffered it for our sake. I mean, that's something that, you know, that's what hell is going to be. Hell is eternal separation from God. Um, And so in order that we don't ever have to experience that, Jesus stepped into that place and took that and experienced that for us. And it it was awful. You can tell from his cry that it was something that, that broke him. In, in the fifth statement, uh, it's found in John chapter 19, verses 28 through 29. And we can read it in our Bible. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. And so he received the sour wine. He said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. When he says, I thirst, um, after enduring unthinkable stress and three days of imprisonment and trials and floggings and crucifixion, the Son of God, who made the waters of the world experience extreme dehydration and thirst. And in this statement, Jesus fulfilled another prophecy of Psalm 69, verse 21. Still, there is a deeper meaning to his thirst. And, and Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God, and my soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Jesus cried out with the psalmist. He was thirsting for the presence and fellowship of God and the Father during the separation on the cross. And what they brought him was this mixture of um, uh, vinegar. Some of your translations might say vinegar. Um, vinegar, it was sour wine, and then herbs. It was like this weird drink that the Romans had um, that was a common drink. It was called Posca or Posca, I can't really say it. Um, I'm just going to go with that. But um, it was this mixture drink. It was the drink of the common, of the poor. 
um, it was something that the Roman soldiers drink often and they filled the sponge and put it to his lips and um, hanging there upon the cross and it was at that moment where Jesus says father into your hands I commit my spirit to you it's finished um, and just to go back to the crucifixion process I know it's gruesome and uh, it's not something we always want to talk about or like think about but at this point, Jesus has been hanging upon the cross um, for some time, upwards of, of six hours. Um, and what's taken place through crucifixion, it was designed in a way to maximize pain, maximize um, suffering, but also extend life to keep you alive as long as possible. And often we see pictures of the cross um, and Jesus would be up high. But a lot of times um, crucifixions would take place at eye level so people could look um, look the person in the eye, to spit upon them, to uh, ridicule them to their face. And so, you know, Jesus may have been um, crucified at eye level. And it says in Psalm 22, 22 it says that bulls of Basham have surrounded me. It's this messianic psalm talking about the cross where as Jesus is hanging there, the demons and demonic presence are, are around him and mocking him, not only just the people that are there, but I want you to understand what's being, what Jesus is experiencing uh, through this process of crucifixion. He would have carried his crossbeam um, upwards of, like we said, 75 to 150 pounds um, down this very difficult dirt road. Out of, just outside of the city up onto a hill um, where he would then be um, laid upon his cross and nine inch to 12 inch nails spikes would be driven through the spaces between his uh, the bottom of his hand and his wrist. There was a, a, a spot where it could go between the two bones in the arm where it wouldn't rip through the hand. If they went right through the hand, um, it would, as the full weight of the body would hang upon it, it would rip through the hand. And so they would go just below the hand um, in the wrist and it could kind of hang on in, in between those two bones there. Um, his, his feet would then be um, lifted and flexed to a 90 degree and a nail driven between, um, same similar to his ankles um, in his feet. And then... Um, as the the cross would be hoisted up into the air and dropped into the ground, um, as the body would hang, there would be shallowness of breathing. It causes just small areas of the lungs to collapse. As you hang there, it's difficult to breathe, and so you would have to push um, push up off that nail in your feet in order to catch a breath and then to sink back down. Now. Um, Jesus is exhausted at this point, you know, just the, I'm trying to get the strength to push up off those feet, um, to, and to pull himself off nails that are in his, his, uh, his wrists. Um, it would cause a shallowness of breathing and because there's shallowness of breathing that causes the, like small areas of the lungs to then collapse. Um, and as decreased oxygen, happens in the lungs, it increased carbon dioxide causing a, a, an, an acidic conditions in the tissues uh, in the lungs. And then fluid builds up in the lungs. And it makes um, 
situations in step, you know, step two, even worse of the decrease of oxygen. Um, and the heart is then put under a maximum amount of stress and eventually will fail. Um, and so we have to understand, like, Jesus has been beaten to a pulp. Um, it says that he was beaten past recognition as a man. I mean, they couldn't even tell what he looked like. His face was so swollen and beaten. He was whipped and scourged. He's losing blood. He's exhausted. He then is um, is trying to, um, he's nailed to a cross and lifted up. He's trying to, to, to breathe and can't. Um, and some have said and suggested, and, and you know I've heard it a lot, and is that Jesus then dies of a broken heart, as uh, it says in verse 34, uh, 31, Therefore, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. So what they would do in order to speed up the process, if these guys were taking too long to die, they would come along with a club and they would break the legs of those who were hanging on the cross so they could no longer push up on them and it would cause them to um, suffocate and basically drown in their own their own lungs um, quicker. And so as they, they grant that request, when they come to Jesus in verse 33, they saw that he was already dead and they did not break his legs. It's interesting that as they come to kill Jesus, Jesus had already given permission to his own spirit to be taken. Uh, when he told the Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, it is, it is finished. And a lot of people have said, you know, when it comes to this, this part where they pierce him with a spear and immediately blood and water came out, I've heard it said that Jesus died of a broken heart um, because what had happened is there's so much stress upon the heart that the heart can actually burst. And um, uh, evidence of that is water and blood that comes flowing out. But I don't necessarily, I do not agree necessarily that Jesus died of a broken heart. I believe in that moment when when Jesus says that it is finished, his heart was full. His heart was full because the work that was to be accomplished was done. And, and the redemption of humanity would take place. The The penalty for our sin would be paid and the redemption of our soul would be happening. I mean, I don't think it burst out of just sheer sadness and pain. I think it burst because his heart was full. The Bible tells us for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I believe that his heart burst with joy because of what was taking place, that the work of the cross was finished. It was done. It was complete. And by his blood, by his death, many would come to glory. The door of salvation would be open to all. Um, in verse 35, and it says, And he who was seen, has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may believe. For these things were done, the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him who they pierced. Um, John testifies of the reason, again, why he wrote this is so that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he, he puts in there a scripture um, 
from Exodus chapter 12, verse 46, which takes us back to um, the plagues in Egypt where they were to prepare a Passover lamb and the blood of the lamb was to go in the doorpost. And the way that they were to prepare the lamb and cook it was they were to put it and boil it and not a bone of that lamb was to be broken. And it was to be a picture of the fact, again, that the, the, our sacrificial lamb, our Passover lamb, uh, Jesus, not a single bone would be broken in him. And again, another scripture says they shall look on him who they pierced, um, reminding us of the fact that Jesus was pierced. He was not stoned to death, but he was pierced. He was nailed to a cross. Um, John includes these scriptures for for us that our faith would be increased in uh, in the fact that Jesus was who he says that he is as scripture is being fulfilled. Um, and now moves into the burial of Jesus in verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, uh, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips and linen with spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where, where he was crucified, there was a garden in the garden of a new tomb in which no one had been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. And it's at this moment in the story where we know that there's, oh my goodness, there's so much hope and we know what's going to happen next. Jesus is going to rise from the dead. Oh my goodness, such a wonderful thing. Um, but for, you got to think too, let's think of the disciples at this moment. Their whole world has been completely destroyed. It's been crucified. The one that they had followed for three years, who thought, they thought the Messiah, man, this is, this is the one. He's dead. He's being laid into a tomb. But their hope or, or their hopelessness will turn to hope in just a few days as Jesus will rise from the dead. And guys, again, as you read this and, and as you maybe just take time to read it yourself and think upon it, um, every time that it reads about something that was afflicted or the way that Jesus was treated, I want you to, to tag it with that line, this is for me, this is for me. And there's no scripture, well, I mean, I don't want to say that, but it's, it's cool, like this portion of scripture, sometimes we can, we can talk about the church and this is for the church. And we can broaden and kind of, um, you know, who this is for. And that's true. But but at the moment, like John 19, this is for you. This is for me. Jesus did this for you. Jesus did this for me. Um, so that we might be saved. His body was broken and, and ble- he bled um, for us. He died for us. I mean... Uh, so as we move towards Easter as well, just preparing our hearts to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. I mean, by his death, we are, I mean, we're made alive. Um, we're forgiven of sins. Um, there's hope for us. I mean, it's just a, it's such a wonderful thing to remember and to celebrate is that, and to be reminded of that, that Jesus did this because he loved us. It's interesting that, in that whole time, all of these different governments and Jewish leaders think that they're the ones calling the shots. And, you know, Jesus is the one who's given the commands. 
Jesus is the one who's calling the shots in this whole thing. Um, because this is what needed to take place for our redemption, for our, um, for our, our sins. And so, um, I hope you're encouraged. I know it's kind of a gruesome text and it's a lot to take in, but just, it's good to a lot. Uh, it's good sometimes to really think about the way in which Jesus suffered and to be reminded that he did this for you and me because he loves us, because he loves us so much. And uh, if, you, if you don't remember anything or, or forget something or today, I want you to uh, forget all the weird stuff I said, but remember that Jesus has done this because he loves you so much and uh, invites you into his heaven and into his family. Um, because he loves you. So hope you're blessed. Hopefully we'll be back together soon. Uh, I can't wait to finish this book in person with you guys. If not in person, we'll, we'll be finishing through the podcast. And so look forward to seeing you guys soon. All right. God bless you. Bye.